evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wall of Power TV. I'm your host, Paul Metza. I couldn't be more delighted to have as my guest, University of Minnesota Law Professor Richard Painter, who is running to become the next senator on the DFL ticket from the great state of Minnesota. From February 2005 to July 2007, he was associate counsel to President George W. Bush in the White House Counsel's Office, serving as the chief ethics lawyer. He is a board member and vice chair of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, as well as a founding board member of Take Back Our Republic, a campaign finance reform organization. Without any further ado, a man that might be the next senator from the great state of Minnesota, Professor Richard Painter. Richard, thanks for being here today. Thank you very much, Paul. I can't uh, turn on the TV and not see you on MSNBC or CNN or the variety of other nationally uh, syndicated television shows you've been on. So I want to thank you for being here on Wall of Power TV, broadcasting on Studio 6, MCN 6, right out of Northeast Minneapolis. Thank you for having me. We're honored to have you. <clears throat> I've been following you now for, geez, a year, year and a half, a couple of years. Your message resonates with so much of my core uh, beliefs. As you know, politicians are known for speaking out of both sides of their mouth. You don't do that. We're going to talk about several of the issues today, but I want to ask you, because you, uh, you keep your eye on the pulse. So May 10th, we had the three hostages come back from North Korea, and it was the last time we saw Melania Trump. You don't think there's any truth to the rumor that she was exchanged for those hostages, do you? No, I don't think so. Um, I'd actually rather keep uh, Melania and exchange Donald Trump for the hostages. <laughs> of course, I'm being a bit facetious, but uh, that's the latest thing I read when I get up this morning. I'd throw Mike Pence into the deal, too. <laughs> well, that's it's interesting, because we'll talk about that. Pence has really been standing in the shadows, and... Um, but I think with your belief, he's as complicit uh, with all of what you consider, and, and many of us consider to be uh, basically running this country unconstitutionally. And you're a constitutional scholar. Tell us a little bit about the young Richard, how you got interested in politics and law. Well, I grew up in central Illinois, uh, Champaign County, Illinois. and. Uh, most people down there were Republicans when I was growing up because they uh, detested the uh, Chicago machine run by Mayor Daley, uh, which uh, uh, was racist. Uh, Mayor Daley refused to include African Americans in uh, uh, Chicago Democratic politics in those days, and of course corrupt. Right. Uh, and that's how I got involved in the Republican Party because I went back to teach at the University of Illinois in the 1990s, hooked up with a lot of people who I had known uh, growing up as a kid, and uh, I, I joined the Republican Party. But the Republican Party uh, had already started to move dramatically to the right uh, uh, of where I am on a whole range of issues. I had hoped to pull it back to the center, um, but uh, it hasn't worked out that way. And I also learned in Illinois that uh, both parties are equally corrupt. We had a Republican governor go to jail. Um, uh, uh, governor Ryan, and then uh, right after him, Go Governor Blagojevich, a Democrat, went to jail. Indeed, we had them both serving their terms concurrently in the federal penitentiary. Uh, that's a real embarrassment. 
uh, I've got to say. So I became very interested in, in ethics, uh, government ethics, as well as corporate ethics. I spent a lot of time uh, um, writing and giving speeches about what's going on on Wall Street back in the 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, and that's how I got into the uh, Bush White House as the ethics lawyer. Uh, my job was trying to keep them all out of jail. Um, <laughs> I, I did all right on that uh, when they'd bother to listen to me. Uh, it, it was not a partisan political job. Uh, nobody sought my input on policy matters. I certainly have different views than a lot of people in the Bush administration have. But uh, I you know, tried to clean them out of their financial conflicts of interest. And, and uh, tell them not to do things like lie to a grand jury. We had a problem with that with the uh, vice president's chief of staff, Scooter Levy, uh, who recently got a full pardon from President Trump, sending the message it's absolutely okay to lie to a grand jury in the view of President Trump. Telegraphing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's crazy what's going on. Uh, so I've had my issues with the Republican Party over the years. Uh, but, you know, then along comes Donald Trump. And... Uh, this is very, very different than what we've seen before. Donald Trump is committed to an authoritarian mode of governing. He has no respect for the Constitution of the United States, whether it's the First Amendment right to freedom of the press or the right to free exercise of religion, whether it's the independent judiciary. We've had him uh, attack a judge simply for being a Mexican-American and saying that makes the judge biased. We've had him call for a travel ban, which is really a Muslim ban. We've had him uh, uh, take specific steps to interfere with free freedom of the press. Uh, he has no respect for our Constitution. And unfortunately, the Republican Party is falling in behind Donald Trump and uh, refusing uh, to support anyone for elected office at the federal level who will not be loyal to Donald Trump. That is not the way political parties function in a democracy. Uh, so I'd say goodbye to the Republican Party. And uh, I have uh, entered the uh, Democratic Farmer Labor Party a primary for the United States Senate. Richard, what attracted you to the Republican Party in the first place? Well, as I said, when I was young uh, in central Illinois, uh, people were Republican just because they saw that the Republican Party is useful uh, for pushing back against the daily machine that controlled Chicago. Uh, and uh, so you had liberal Republicans, uh, uh, people like myself, uh, very concerned about what's going on Wall Street and the rest of it. And he had some very conservative Republicans. And then up in the Chicago machine, you had uh, quite a few racists, including uh, Mayor Daley himself. And then you had some very liberal and progressive people in the Democratic Party as well. But the two parties, uh, when I was growing up, uh, it reflected a broad range of political philosophies. What has happened steadily over the past several decades, particularly since 1980, uh, is that the Republican Party has moved to the right, uh, and increasingly so as the years go by. They brought in the religious right. Uh, people who were not really welcome in the Republican Party before 1980, uh, they were brought in to try to win elections on the abortion issue and homophobia and the rest of it. Well, those people, by the end of the 1990s, had taken over, um, and certainly by the 2000s. Uh, and then we see President Trump with his so-called evangelical council that's willing to pardon everything he does uh, simply for the sake of trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, we've had uh, people with extremely hawkish views about the Middle East uh, coming into the Republican Party, uh, people eager to start more wars. Uh, that's a very dangerous trend. Uh, and uh, it, it's very unfortunate uh, what's happened to the Republicans over the years. 
but I believed it was salvageable until Donald Trump came along, because what we're introducing now, as I say, is authoritarianism, disrespect for the Constitution, people who do not want to live in a democracy. Uh, and there's no reasoning uh, with such people. Uh, so I, unfortunately, I think the Republican Party uh, is a lost cause. Um, certainly under Donald Trump, and I don't see a future after Donald Trump unless there's a complete reversal uh, of the attitude of the party leaders. Well, one thing I've always thought was hypocritical about the Republicans is they call for getting government off your backs, for smaller government, yet they're the first party that wants to get into your bloodstream and your bedroom. Yes, and that's a trend that started in 1980. Before 1980, Republicans were, if anything, more adamant than Democrats about separation of church and state. Uh, and uh, you didn't have the religious right uh, uh, running the party. Um, uh, a lot of main, uh, mainline Protestants and others uh, who did not want government um, uh, funding religious organizations, who did not want a government interfering with people's personal decisions. Even Barry Goldwater uh, supported uh, 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 reproductive uh, uh, choice uh, for women. Uh, Planned Parenthood was supported by George H.W. Bush, so much so that his nickname apparently was Rubbers. Uh, <laughs> uh, he quickly put that to, uh, to rest when he uh, ran on the vice presidential ticket with uh, Ronald Reagan. That's something you're only going to hear on Wall of Power TV. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was true. Well, what I've always loved, you know, I was born, in, I'm a, a few years older than you, I was born in 1955, but I really came of age, you really became aware uh, on the iron range of John F. Kennedy, of course, and then the, uh, the tragic assassination, and then uh, the rise of LBJ, of course, after that. Uh, but Barry Goldwater in 1964, of course, ran for president, so we were very uh, aware of him. But over the years, I think as he got older, he was really, to me, seemed a little bit more of a libertarian uh, than a Republican. But he had a great line that I'd like to remind uh, my friends that don't think gays should serve in the military. Because Barry had a, gr a grandson who was gay. And he said something that I thought was pretty to the point, so to speak. He said, to be in the Army, he goes, you don't have to um, be straight. You just have to shoot straight. Absolutely right. Uh, Barry Goldwater was wrong on a lot of things. He was so much in favor of states' rights that he missed the boat on the Civil Rights Act, and I certainly blame him for that. Uh, I think he's one of many Americans who way overreacted to uh, uh, what the Russians uh, uh, were doing uh, to the point of perhaps uh, wanting to risk a nuclear war in confronting Russia. Now, of course, we're way underreacting to what Russia is doing and ignoring it. Um, so I think Barry Goldwater had his shortcomings, but Barry Goldwater was never someone who embraced the religious right. He warned that the religious right were a bunch of nutcakes, uh, and uh, he had uh, Jewish heritage as well as Protestant uh, heritage. Uh, he, he understood the threat uh, that the uh, so-called evangelical right, which is really not evangelical at all, it's just, just a, an ideology uh, of, of hatred that uses Christianity. Uh, to win elections. He understood how dangerous those people are, and he spoke out against them very, very forcefully. He spoke out against campaign finance, uh, um, money coming in from corporations and labor unions into political um, campaigns. Uh, so he was right on that. 
Um, so Barry Goldwater was right on a number of things, even though, as I say, I think he was tragically wrong on, on the Civil Rights Act, uh, as well as uh, what the appropriate response uh, was to uh, communist aggression at the time. You came on board with George Bush. What year was that? Uh, I went in as the White House ethics lawyer in 2005, served until 2007. Uh, in the White House, uh, I uh, was responsible for financial conflicts of interest uh, and compliance with the ethics rules. It's not a policy job. I didn't get to decide who the nominees ought to be as a matter of political ideology or philosophy. Uh, we, uh, I was there when they appointed uh, two people to the United States Supreme Court, Justice Alito and Chief Justice Roberts. I had no input into uh, who they should appoint. Um, with respect to judicial philosophy, what I did do was sit down with the uh, candidates uh, for those jobs and go through their financial situation, uh, financial conflicts of interest, whether they had previously decided cases in which they might have a financial conflict of interest. Uh, so uh, whoever was chosen to be the nominee could go in front of the United States Senate uh, without a serious ethics problem. Uh, that was my job. Uh, ethics, those don't party. Uh, as my successor in the Obama administration, Norman Eisen, has said repeatedly, uh, ethics should not be a political uh, enterprise. Uh, and that's why uh, I believe I did good, as good a job as I could in the Bush administration when people would listen to me. Um, I didn't need to be a conservative Republican in order to do that. Um, and uh, as I say, they had no interest in my views on issues. Uh, but uh, when I said there was a conflict of interest or something was illegal, um, when they borrowed to ask me, I'd tell them, and I'd make doggone sure that they were listening to me. And you work with Norm Eisen, right, in a, in a group? Yes. Uh, Norman Eisen uh, uh, was in the White House, of course, after I was because he was with President Obama, and then he went to become the ambassador to the Czech Republic. When he came home, uh, he um, worked uh, with Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington uh, in a volunteer capacity. He was over at the Brookings Institution. He asked me to come board at Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, CREW is our name, as the vice chair. And so we um, uh, at CREW have uh, vigorously pursued corruption in both political parties. Uh, we're a bipartisan group, uh, but uh, President Donald Trump has given us a lot of extra work to do. Mm. including uh, bringing a lawsuit against him for his violation of the United States Constitution by receiving payments, profits and benefits from foreign governments. Uh, so I've worked with Norman Eisen on that and a number of other things. Uh, and yes, uh, with Trump in office, uh, crew has had to work overtime. More with our guest Richard Painter after these messages. Welcome back to All of Power TV. I'm delighted to have in the studio for the whole show tonight Professor Richard Painter, who's running to be uh, the next senator of Minnesota. Richard, when did you end up back in Minnesota? I know you're a professor at the University of Minnesota. When did you uh, find your way back to uh, the Twin Cities? Well, I came here in 2007 after serving in the uh, uh, Bush White House as a chief ethics lawyer. I had previously been at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, um, which is the town I'd grown up in, uh, and I'd gone back to teach law. Uh, but I decided to come here. Uh, uh, my wife got a job teaching music history. She's a tenured professor at the University of Minnesota in the music department. Uh, we love the Twin Cities. We love Minnesota. It's a wonderful place to live. Uh, and I have to say the politics here is a lot cleaner than in Illinois. Uh, we've got our problems, uh, happy to talk about them, but it's much better than what goes on down there. Um, 
Well, and you look at uh, the storied history of Minnesota politicians and Supreme Court justices, you know, uh, Hugo Blackman, um, Earl Warren, Warren, Hubert Humphrey, uh, of course, Paul Wellstone. Uh, did you ever get a chance to meet uh, Wellstone over the years? You're both I, professors yes. running for Senate. Unfortunately, I never did. Uh, he uh, uh, he was killed uh, shortly after I had um, uh, I had arrived, um, and um, I was not involved in politics very much when I was getting involved in uh, teaching, uh, getting back in teaching at the University of Minnesota. Uh, and uh, Paul Wellstone is a great loss to the state of Minnesota. I was recently in Memphis with uh, two good friends of mine staying for the weekend, and. I have other friends around the country that are very politically inclined, like myself. And your national profile uh, and the support you have nationally, at least in my circle of friends, is very powerful. And I hope this translates to uh, the land of 10,000 lakes. How do you feel it's going in Minnesota for the Senate race right now? So far, so good. I uh, want to talk to people about issues. And uh, there are going to be a lot of issues I agree with Senator Smith on. There are going to be some we disagree. We're also going to have some with different priorities. Uh, I, for example, want to make sure that we get Trump and Pence out of there as soon as possible. I think they're a threat to our democracy. And so I think the Senate needs to prioritize an investigation um, along the lines of what was done with Watergate back when I was a uh, child. And I still remember watching those hearings when I was growing up in central Illinois. Um, we're well past the point uh, with both Trump and Pence uh, uh, where there ought to be an investigation by the House and Senate, but they're not doing diddly squat right now other than uh, making up spy stories uh, from the time during the Obama administration or going through Hillary's email. So uh, that's a top priority for me. Uh, we need to have a debate. I would like to have a debate with Senator Smith, and uh, I believe I'll prevail, and if I do prevail in the election, a debate with Karen Housley, who will be the Republican nominee. What are our priorities uh, in the United States Senate? Uh, what is our attitude toward um, uh, copper nickel mining in northern Minnesota, uh, which is going to pollute our boundary waters and uh, the Duluth Let's talk, watershed? Can we talk a little bit about that? Because, of course, that's where I'm from. I'm a double Scorpio water sign. I don't mean to get too cosmic here on you, but I grew up on Lake Vermilion, considered one of the finest freshwater lakes, not only in Minnesota, but the world. And of course, uh, spent a lot of time in, in Duluth and Superior uh, around Lake Superior. Tell us a little bit about what you know. I'm very familiar with polymeth that they want to put by the Laurentian Divide and twin metals that they want to put uh, to, uh, by the boundary waters. But let's talk about who owns these mines. Yes, yeah, so these are copper nickel mines. We have not tried copper nickel mining in Minnesota. Uh, and it is very dangerous near uh, waterways because uh, copper nickel mining uh, uh, involves digging up an enormous amount of material, taking only 1% out and leaving the rest, and it's all going to get into the water. It is very, very dangerous. Uh, it has generally been done around the world uh, in drier places uh, where you don't have to worry about polluting the waterways. Uh, so that's the, the problem. Environmentalists have made it very, very clear uh, that this is an enormous threat. These mines are not owned by Minnesotans. Uh, they're owned by billionaires who are not Americans. One of the mines, the Twin Metals Mine, which will be up near Ely, uh, that will pollute the boundary waters, is owned by a billionaire from Chile. 
and he also owns the Banco de Chile uh, that uh, a number of years ago uh, made some election year loans to the president of Chile. Uh, he is now running around Washington, D.C., uh, uh, giving money to various uh, think tanks. I ran into him uh, at a speech I gave at the Brookings Institution, and he'd given them a lot of money. Uh, he's one of the big donors, and uh, he's very interested in talking to me because I'm from Minnesota. He wants to open up the copper and nickel mine. He is also the um, landlord for Jared and Ivanka Trump. Uh, he heard they wanted a house you in Colorado. Can't make this stuff oh, yeah, up. absolutely. He, he'd heard they wanted a house in Colorado, which is the fancy pants section of Washington, D.C. Yeah, house is about a twelve million dollar house or whatever. So he just bought it and he leases it to him. Well, uh, so that's one he guy. He bought it primarily just to oh, rent it. He bought it, I believe, right there after the election. Wow. Uh, you know, it, yeah, he's not in the real estate business. He's in the schmoozing politicians business. Right. Where he wants to make money is opening the mine uh, right near the boundary waters and take what he can out of it and uh, then leave the rest for us to clean up. And that's because that com his company. Uh, there's a long name, I believe it starts with an A, has a terrible environmental record as well. Oh, yeah. They've, they, they, they've been making a mess, uh, you know, everywhere where they go. Um, uh, and they don't care because if they bribe the local politicians or whatever they do to get what they want, um, of course, you can't call it bribery unless someone actually gets caught with a quid pro quo. We know what goes on in politics. Uh, but uh, bottom line is uh, they, do, they have a terrible environmental record, but the politicians are in their back pocket. They can do whatever they want. Well, I say no in Minnesota. That's not happening here. Uh, the second mine, uh, the Polymet mine, is owned, uh, controlled by a company called Glencore. Glencore is a Swiss uh, company with a lot of British investors. Nathaniel Rothschild, who has uh, ma uh, mines all over the world with a terrible environmental record. Uh, his friend Oleg Derpaska, who is a Russian oligarch, who is a client of Paul Manafort, currently under sanctions. Uh, he's involved uh, with Glencore. Uh, and then they hired uh, Tony Hayward to be the chairman of Glencore. From BP. Yeah, Tony Hayward is a guy at British Petroleum who uh, was in charge when the um, uh, Deepwater Horizon disaster occurred. And Tony Hayward said that was just going to be a very minor incident with minimal environmental impact. Well, when he got the boot from uh, British Petroleum after that whole thing blew up, uh, Nat Rothschild went into business with him uh, doing uh, Iraqi oil deals uh, and then brought him into uh, Glencore. Uh, as he put this cast of characters together, um, throwing a handful of Russian oligarchs and said, are these the people we want controlling a mine in Minnesota? To extract copper and nickel, once again, that's only 1% of what comes out of the ground is going to be the copper and nickel. And who's going to end up getting the copper and nickel? Probably the Russians and, oh, they deal with the Iranians as well. Uh, you know, that's not uh, the way to grow the economy in Minnesota. That's not the way to create jobs. It's very, very short-sighted. Uh, where they want to mine the, uh, the copper and nickel is on federal land. So they come up with a, uh, a land swap proposal where Polymat, which is this Glencore uh, outfit, uh, will uh, take some of its own land and swap it with a federal government for federal land. Uh, and then once they get control of the federal land, uh, which is no longer federal land, if we do the land swap, they don't have to obey the environmental regulations that apply to federal land. And then they can make a big mess. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it's a terrible idea, yet it's tragic that the Republican Party establishment supports it 
and also the Democratic Farmer Labor Party establishment. We have both of our senators supporting this atrocious land swap. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what Governor Dayton thinks. I hope he would oppose it uh, going out. Uh, he's a strong environmentalist. Uh, and he ought to do the right thing. His family has a cabin on Lake Vermilion about three yeah. miles from ours. Yeah, they're, they're good people. Yeah. He ought to say no, just no. It's wrong. And, uh, uh, you know, we don't have to cater uh, to the mining industry, particularly the most corrupt part of the mining industry, uh, in order to uh, build the economy uh, in the 8th Congressional District and elsewhere in Minnesota. Uh, it, it makes absolutely no sense. It's going to destroy our economy in the long run because we'll destroy tourism. Uh, the Boundary Waters and the Duluth Watershed are places where people aren't going to want to live. Uh, and once again, these mine owners are foreign billionaires with a terrible environmental record, with a very extensive record of throwing their influence around with politicians to get what they want, and zero interest in Minnesota. And the other thing is, you know, between Lake Superior and northeastern Minnesota, we're, and, and the rest of Minnesota, the freshwater lakes, we're sitting on 20% of the freshwater in the world. And I've always said, water is going to be the next oil. I mean, you can see it right now with the water surges all over the world, which I think behooves us to protect one-fifth of this God-given natural resource. Absolutely. Because of climate change, uh, uh, we are in a very serious situation with respect to water uh, around the world. And uh, uh, we have water resources here. Uh, we need to protect them. We obviously need to do something about climate change as well. But once again, we've got the same problem there. It's the fossil fuel industry that has Congress bought and uh, has extensive influence uh, in both political parties. Uh, and uh, if we don't address our environmental concerns, we're going to have a planet that is in, uh, uninhabitable uh, uh, by humans. Uh, and uh, if we lose our water, uh, that's, that's going to be the beginning of the end. We need to protect our waterways. And uh, Minnesota is ground zero uh, for the, uh, the fight for clean water. More with Richard Painter on the Wall of Power TV after these messages. Number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com.
What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies companies. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Summer is the season to clean. For roof, siding, garage floors, decks, and more, Blue Sky Services can help you out. Anything that can be power washed, Blue Skies can safely soft wash. A power washing alternative that doesn't damage your home. So don't wait until it's too late and you need to replace things. Call Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484. And tell them that you're an AM950 listener to save up to $100 in July only. That is 651-447-4484. Call now to save on July services. Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. Even though Auto Technical is a small nonprofit, we have helped more families with transportation than any organization in Minnesota. Since 94, we have reconditioned donated vehicles so they have a higher tax benefit. Call Richard at 612 919 5526. 612 919 5526. Or autotech.org. Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can go solar with all energy solar, even way up north in Minnesota. Lots of people ask them, isn't Minnesota too cloudy for solar? No. The truth? For one thing, Minneapolis gets nearly as much sun each year as Houston, Texas. But it isn't just about how much sun you get. It's also about having access to great local incentive programs that make solar affordable. Learn what your options are to save with solar and visit allenergysolar.com today. 
This summer, you have lots of choices when it comes to your carpet and air duct cleaning, so make it a smart one with Zero Res. Only Zero Res cleans with patent-empowered water, so you know you get healthy, clean carpet that's safe for your family. It's like remodeling, but without the price tag. So schedule your carpet cleaning today and get the Zero Res Summer 3-Room Special. And this month, save $50 when you get your air duct Zero Res clean. Call 952-Zero-Res or visit ZeroResMN.com. Zero Res, spell it backwards or forwards, it spells the same. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 69. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 88. Monday, sunny with a high near 82. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 80. And Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 81. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces offers indoor and outdoor stoves and fireplaces. Great for warming yourself by a fire or cooking in a beautiful wood-burning oven. For their award-winning installations, visit them at 2901 Franklin Avenue East in Minneapolis or at woodlandstoves.com. Welcome back to All of Power TV. I'm your host, Paul Metza. I've been having an enjoyable chat with my new friend and the man I'm supporting for U.S. Senate in Minnesota in 2018, Professor Richard Painter. Richard, so talk about what you think you can do for Minnesota. Well, I think it's critically important uh, to get uh, corruption out of politics. Uh, we uh, have a serious problem with Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and I want to get rid of them, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this administration is investigated by the United States Senate Judiciary Committee and other committees of the Senate. Uh, that's critically important. Uh, but we also need to focus on uh, the influence of money in politics. That's what got us into this situation, because voters of both political parties are fed up with the political action committees, the super PACs, the dark money organizations that permeate our political system. And that's why I will not take any money from political action committees. Zero. None. Not welcome in my campaign. Other uh, people running the Democratic primary for Senate, the United States House of Representatives, are taking money from PACs. I just won't take it. I want this system fixed. And until it's fixed, I'm not going to participate in the most corrupt parts of this system. PACs, super PACs, dark money organizations. Uh, they are ruining our democracy. The dark money organizations many of them may very well be funded from outside the United States. We have no idea where the money is coming from into organizations such as Citizens United, the uh, group that won the Supreme Court case back in 2009. Vladimir Putin can set up his own versions of Citizens United and run attack ads in Minnesota and elsewhere against candidates. This is unacceptable. We cannot allow it to continue. Um, we also need members of the United States House and Senate to clean out their own personal financial conflicts of interest. They should not be owning health care company stocks while they're making decisions about health care, or energy stocks while they're making decisions about energy, or defense industry stocks while they're running our defense budget sky high. The members of Congress should have a portfolio of mutual funds and life insurance and other conflict-free assets. Senator Amy Klobuchar does. I've urged Senator Smith to sell her stocks uh, in the healthcare industry that create conflicts of interest. But we need to have a clear rule for every single member of the House and Senate. No more financial conflicts of interest, no more PACs and super PACs, and have nothing to do with the dark money organizations. We need a Supreme Court that's going to reverse Citizens United 
or have a constitutional amendment that's going to reverse Citizens United. That is unacceptable to allow corporations, many of which may be foreign corporations, to corrupt our government. Well, now there's, uh, uh, we're hearing news that the NRA uh, has been getting money from Russia. Oh, yes. I'm sure Vladimir Putin is uh, very happy to see as many school shootings in the United States uh, as, as possible. Uh, but yet they don't allow gun ownership in Russia. Of course not, because he wants, he's going to have law and order in Russia uh, while he wants the United States to disintegrate. He's going to support racial hatred in the United States uh, in groups like the Ku Klux Klan and the alt-right uh, uh, that uh, started the ruckus down in Charlottesville. Uh, just as the uh, Russians supported uh, uh, the Communist Party and others who were starting to start a ruckus in the United States in an earlier era. Uh, the agenda in Russia for a century has been to destabilize Western democracies. Most of the time they did that from the left wing of the political spectrum. They got some traction over in Europe uh, doing that, but very little in the United States. We blew the so-called communist threat way out of proportion in the McCarthy era. Uh, but the left wing has never had their very much power in the United States. But the right wing uh, is extremely dangerous here. And once Vladimir Putin discovered the alt-right Breitbart News, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, the inherent racism uh, of many in the right wing, uh, it was a field day. And uh, he put himself in a position where he uh, could very well have uh, chosen the president of the United States. There's a related issue there before I want to talk to you about single-payer health care, is, uh, you know, northern Minnesota especially, well, really all over Minnesota, but northern Minnesota, there's a lot of hunters. So what is your position, what is your position on guns, ownership, registration, and AR-15s? Well, I think gun ownership is fine. Uh, just like automobile ownership. I have two cars in my garage. And uh, the state of Minnesota knows that I have those cars. And I have to be licensed. And if one of my kids wants to drive those cards at age 16, he or she is going to have to get a license. Uh, so we have a license and registration process for cars. If a uh, car is transferred, uh, the state of Minnesota knows about that as well. Uh, but with guns, it's uh, really uh, it, inadequately regulated. Uh, we do not know about transfers of guns. We do not know about ownership. Uh, there's a background check conducted if you buy a gun at a store, but not if you buy the gun at a gun fair or over the uh, internet and it's shipped to you in the mail. Uh, that's just absurd. Uh, so we can have gun ownership just like we do car ownership, um, but with a license and registration system. And it's very important to have this because if the police uh, get a domestic violence call, uh, they should be able to check and see, uh, you know, what kind of guns are in the house. And uh, if it appears threatening, call for a backup unit. Uh, the officers are entitled to that. Uh, if a, a child, uh, a teenager, is getting in trouble in, in school and appears to be emotionally distraught, uh, having serious problems or problems with the law, uh, law enforcement ought to be able to check and see if there's a, a firearm in the house, particularly if it's a semi-automatic weapon, and go and talk with the parents about securing the weapon and getting help for the child uh, rather than having the child shoot up the school, as we've seen tragically has happened in too many instances. Uh, so we can have guns and enjoy guns uh, for sporting, um, and people can have guns for self-defense, uh, which is important in some rural areas, uh, certainly. But uh, we can do so with the 
well-organized militia, well-regulated militia that is set forth in the Second Amendment of the Constitution. And uh, the NRA uh, consistently uh, ignores uh, the founders' intent to have a well-regulated militia, to have some rules that apply to gun ownership. And that's just absolutely absurd. Uh, and uh, that, that is, uh, at this point, is uh, threatening the stability of our society when children cannot go to school uh, knowing that they're safe. Uh, from being murdered uh, by a classmate or by some other deranged person uh, who has access to a gun that that person shouldn't have. Well, and then you have, you know, the Bill of Rights, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, which is tough to enjoy if you're paranoid by all the unregulated guns. Well, absolutely. And I, I think that uh, the Declaration of Independence sets forth the objective of the American Revolution and why we wanted to be an independent country, and uh, then we started the process of uh, figuring out what our constitution would look like. And, uh, but the objective set forth in the Declaration of Independence is so important uh, that uh, we want to have a country where everybody uh, can enjoy life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And if we aren't safe, uh, we don't feel safe in our streets and in our schools, uh, because we have people running around with guns uh, uh, who shouldn't have them. We have the rules for gun ownership. Uh, we don't have the type of society that our founders intended us to have. Uh, we need to fix things, and we certainly can do so while conforming to the Constitution of the United States. So the, the, the National Rifle Association has made up a whole story about the Second Amendment, uh, that there is no regulation at all of guns, even though the Second Amendment itself talks about regulation of guns. It's completely absurd. Single-payer health care. Tell us about that. Uh, as I talk to small business owners and entrepreneurs and uh, middle-class people throughout uh, the state of Minnesota and uh, around the country, I'm hearing consistently uh, the um, view that we need to have a single-payer health care system. Uh, where there is one large insurer that is going to insure everybody and negotiate fair prices from the drug companies, from the medical device companies, from the health care providers. Uh, what we've got right now is uh, lots of different insurance companies that are sending a lot of money to their shareholders and to their executive officers. Uh, what do the insurance companies do? They push a lot of paper around. Our money goes into the insurance company and then they pay out for healthcare providers and for drugs. Lots of money being taken off the top uh, for profits for the shareholders in compensation for the executive officers. What do we get for that? Very little, because insurance companies do not negotiate down the drug prices very effectively or the medical device prices uh, that are driving up the cost of healthcare. So you can have the same drug selling in the United States for two or three times what it would cost in Europe or in Canada. You can have medical devices costing much more for American hospitals than they do abroad because nobody has the negotiating power to sit down with Medtronic or any other company and say, look, this is what we're going to pay. End of discussion. That's what Canada does. That's what Germany does or Great Britain, but no, not the United States. I was uh, doing a little research on you uh, and I saw an interview and explained this because I think you, you nailed it on the head. Everybody says this is a socialist idea. It's actually really good. Single-payer is good for capitalism. 
Well, absolutely, yes. Uh, and I'm not talking about going all the way, the way Great Britain did, and, and uh, having the doctors and the hospitals work for the government. I'm focusing on the insurance piece here. If the insurer uh, is, a, is a governmental entity or a quasi-governmental entity with the negotiating power to get down the prices of drugs to reasonable levels, so we pay the same thing people do in Canada and Germany, the same thing with the medical device companies, uh, we're going to save an enormous amount of money. Second. Healthcare should not be tied to your job, your place of employment. The United States is alone among industrialized nations uh, in saying that the, health, the employer is responsible for finding you a health plan and then paying for part of it or taking it out of your salary. What that means is that your healthcare is tied up with your job. So if you want to leave a boring job in a major company and start your own company, be an entrepreneur, you can't do that without losing your health insurance. You have to go out into the private market and purchase insurance at enormous expense or go without insurance. Uh, so you're tied down to your job. We call that job luck. Uh, and then if you go out and start a new company, if you're a small business, when you hire people, you have to worry about getting insurance for them. And you've got to pay a lot more than the government pays or the big companies pay. The government, of course, has single payer. So they have the negotiating power of single, that goes along with single payer. The big companies at least get a cut rate on the insurance that they get from the major insurance companies for their employees. The entrepreneur, the small business owner is, uh, is very much disadvantaged. So what we have is one-seventh of our economy is health care. Uh, we're spending a huge amount. Many Americans are without health insurance, are without, inadequ uh, without adequate health care. So we aren't even doing a good job on health care in the United States. And it's dragging down the other six-sevenths of our economy uh, and dragging down entrepreneurship. Uh, health care, as we are currently administering our system, is destroying entrepreneurship, destroying capitalism. And so I can't see how anybody could say they are a pro-business candidate for public office and not endorse single-payer health care or something very similar to it. because. If we keep on going the way we're going, the United States is going to consistently fall behind other countries um, uh, that have a much more rational system for uh, providing health care. What's your positions on medical cannabis, medical marijuana, legalization of marijuana, hemp? That's none of the federal government's business. I, I think Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has better things to do than sticking his nose into marijuana laws. The federal government needs to get out. Uh, of the uh, debate over marijuana. And the states, that is an area where the states have the right and the responsibility to take over and make decisions. If a state is comfortable uh, with the um, uh, law enforcement with respect to driving under the influence of cannabis, uh, and they feel they can protect the public uh, from, uh, 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 from dangerous drivers and uh, other risks associated with cannabis, uh, there are a lot of advantages to legalization. Uh, but that's a decision that should be made at the state level. Uh, Colorado, California, many states have chosen to legalize uh, um, uh, marijuana, and uh, I believe other states are going to as well. Uh, and it, the federal government needs to stay out and mind its own business. Well, you know, I think the uh, argument against marijuana for years has been it's a gateway drug. This whole idea of the gateway drug that it's going to lead to harder drugs, I believe it's the exact opposite. I think it's a gateway back. I know ex-heroin addicts that like to smoke marijuana, hit that pleasure center, relax and enjoy life, watch a movie, make love to their wife, go out and have dinner. And they don't have the, you know, they're, they're, 
That's replacing their need for heroin. I know hardcore alcoholics that don't drink anymore, but they like a couple puffs off a joint every now and then just to chill out and enjoy the evening. And um, when you look at whether it's the opioid addiction, how effective uh, medical marijuana is for pain, and for just getting back to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, you know, Bill Maurer says, the government shouldn't be in control of my brain, you know, or my happiness. So that's my, that's my two cents on marijuana. Well, yes, uh, uh, to the extent marijuana has been a gateway drug, it's because we criminalize marijuana. So when we criminalize marijuana, you go to got to go to someone to buy marijuana who is engaged in criminal activity of right. selling the marijuana. Well, that person is likely to also be selling other drugs or know people are selling other drugs. So it's an entry in way, gateway into the illegal distribution of drugs. It could range from marijuana to heroin to LSD. The best way to make sure that marijuana is not a gateway drug is to legalize marijuana and then put it in the category of alcohol and a regulated right. uh, um, a drug and alcohol is a, is a drug too and it's regulated and they have uh, a, a, a means for testing drivers to make sure drivers are not under the influence and have strict laws there uh, but if we move ma uh, marijuana over uh, to the category that we have for alcohol and and leave it to the states as the constitution leaves the alcohol question of the states uh, then those states that choose to legalize marijuana will not have to deal with the gateway drug problem because uh, the marijuana will be sold in reputable stores that are regulated or while the drug dealers are dealing the rest of the stuff. Or just be able to plant it in your, in your backyard next to the cucumbers and tomatoes. Well, yes, and that's <laughs> what know, people it does do. Come well, from, it does come yeah. from the earth. We've got to make a decision. What should government be regulating? And what should government not be doing? And, uh, uh, you know, we, we need a small government in many respects. Government should not be regulating who you marry or whether or not a woman has an abortion, or what we do at the end of life. Uh, the decisions are made at the end of life uh, about physician-assisted suicide or anything else. Uh, and government uh, certainly shouldn't be regulating uh, uh, drugs uh, such as alcohol. And if uh, we can figure out a way to, uh, as I say, to, to detect marijuana and drugs in the bloodstream for, for drivers, which I think we can, uh, government shouldn't be in the business of regulating marijuana. Uh, government needs to focus on the destruction of our environment. Uh, government needs to focus on uh, the distribution of wealth and on health care. There are certainly priorities for government. Uh, but we don't need government uh, sticking its nose where it doesn't belong. And I also want to emphasize the war on drugs has been extremely expensive. Uh, and uh, we have a very high incarceration rate. Um, disproportionately African Americans who are tied up in our justice system over drugs. And that makes drug offenses a gateway to additional crimes uh, and to creating more hardened criminals in our justice system. And broken families. And broken families because people are put into the justice system through drug crimes, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, so even if a drug is illegal, such as heroin and there are other drugs that we may want to continue to, uh, to treat as being illegal, we should focus on treatment and getting people off of addiction and focus on it as a public health problem, the same with the opiate crisis, uh, rather than an excuse for yet more incarceration and creating yet more hardened criminals uh, uh, through a, uh, a criminal justice system. The, uh, once again, I, uh, all the evidence is showing is very uh, discriminatory uh, uh, with respect to um, African-Americans and other minority populations, uh, which suffer a much higher incarceration rate. And 
we can find more about uh, Professor Richard Painter, my guest uh, this evening, at your website, which is what? Uh, PainterMinnesota.com. Okay. We're going to take a little break and then come back and find, we're going to drop politics by the wayside, talk some human interest with my guest, Professor Richard Painter on Wall of Power TV. This is Paul Metza. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Wall of Power TV. My guest for the whole show tonight, my new friend, Professor Richard Painter, who's running for Senate in 2018 here in Minnesota. Richard, I've got to ask you a personal question. Uh, when I was down in Memphis, my friends asked me, did you, if you had Bell's palsy or a stroke, because it looks like the right mm -hmm. side of your face yeah. is a little frozen at times. Oh, yes. Uh, well, what happened is a couple of years ago, uh, I got hit with a bad case of uh, shingles. Uh, I should have had the shingles shot, uh, but uh, the insurance companies won't cover the shingles shot until you're 60 uh, years old. And then the doctors, of course, uh, their advice pretty much tracks what the insurance companies are willing to pay for. Uh, so they say, well, you don't really need to worry about it until you're 60. Well, <laughs> that's not the case. I got hit with it at age 53 when I was driving back from uh, Harvard University where I'd worked on a campaign finance uh, book for a year. and. Uh, uh, and where you graduated? Right here. Well, oh yeah, back in '84. Yeah. <laughs> but I got hit with the shingles uh, back in 2015. I was driving back to Minnesota. I thought I had poison ivy from about here down to here, and it was shingles. And um, by the time I got in the ER and uh, got the steroids and everything, it had taken out a nerve. Uh, so it gave me a bad case of what's called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, uh, which led to partial paralysis here. I'm working with a uh, physical therapist on this to try to uh, get some of my smile back. I don't have that Jimmy Carter smile, uh, but <laughs> I say, well, look, uh, I've got some time to work on it because I don't want to be smiling anyway until I get Donald Trump and Mike Pence out of the White House. And, uh, but it, it is a, a important It might work. happen by itself at that point. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got a great big grin on my face over that. But uh, uh, yeah, we should. Uh, we certainly need a healthcare system where uh, we think uh, a little forward thinking. There, that, that shingle shot is something people should be getting uh, uh, a lot earlier than age 60. And even if it costs you 200 bucks or so out of pocket, obviously if I had to do over again, I would have sure done, it. done it. Um, and so uh, uh, that's that's the situation there. But no, it's not a stroke or anything else. And the, the right wingers are going on the blogosphere saying that something terrible must have happened to my brain. Uh, because I don't support Donald Trump. Well, that's just not the case. <laughs> Richard, your wife is a professor of music at the University of Minnesota. What is her first name? Karen. Karen Painter. Karen Painter. I, I hope one day I have the honor and pleasure of coming over to your house for dinner, because I imagine between your expertise and knowledge and her love of music and her knowledge, there's got to be some wonderful dinner conversations. Oh, absolutely. She's a lot more articulate than I am, and uh, she could certainly talk uh, to you about a lot about music and music history, uh, which she specialized in European music history during the period leading up to and including World War II. Uh, she's done a lot of work on the, um, uh, the role of music, musicians and music critics and uh, what happened in Germany in the, in the 20s, 30s, and up to the 40s. Uh, and I have to say, she's working on her project uh, there, uh, reading a lot of what happened there in the original German, and then she checks the news and sees what Donald Trump has to say. She, she's quite concerned um, wow. about what's happening in our country. 
and um, she shares a lot of my concerns and has perspective on it that uh, that many of us do not. And how many kids do you have? We got three kids. What what ages? Middle school age. Uh, they are age 15, uh, 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 13, and 11. Boys and girls. And uh, the girl girls the oldest, Elizabeth and William. My son is the middle middle one. Uh, and then our youngest, Annie, is age 11. And, and you guys have a dog, right? We've got two dogs. Tell us about that, because uh, I'm a big dog guy. Oh, yeah. Goalie is our big dog. Uh, he's got a police record, I think, in three states. So <laughs> he got loose in Mendota Heights. And they, I think he got picked up. And he got loose in the State College, Pennsylvania, when I was on my way Can't driving. keep a good dog down. <laughs> yeah, driving to, to, to Harvard for that one-year gig. And then uh, I think he, he got loose uh, once or twice in Massachusetts. Have you been on Fox News yet? Oh, yes. I was on Fox a couple of times. Yeah, they don't have any 